0: evoke earlier uh stacy abrams's name and how instrumental she has been you're on the ground there Uh, talk to us a little bit about her efforts over the past two years and the way it has brought us to this point
1: so i consider Stacey abrams efforts twofold when she ran for governor in 2018 she built a statewide ground game she touched each of georgia's 159 counties and so that was important because she sent a message to democrats that they should and can compete statewide in Georgia. And she came close, but we know she didn't uh, quite make it to a victory. And then she spent the last two years building up organizations as far as protecting voter rights, of course, voter access, voter registration. And so that of course is engaging more voters, new voters, younger voters, a diverse coalition of voters. And so those aspects together You know, she's receiving a lot of credit for helping get Georgia in a posture where it could flip through.
0: Yeah, it's certainly someone who's getting a lot of credit, a lot of praise at this hour. Tia Mitchell.
2: uh... It was Tia Mitchell speaking, Washington correspondent for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution newspaper. Speaking with, um, I forgot his first name, NBC.
3: He heard from the president in several days with the exception of this morning on a rainy day in Washington, he went out to Arlington uh, National Cemetery to lay a wreath. Uh, in observance of Veterans Day. Uh, but he has not been doing much uh, governing, as best we can tell. He's actually fighting hard to keep a job that he doesn't seem uh, content to do at the moment. Uh, rather, he's been lighting up the phones from the White House. He's been calling uh, friends, advisors, allies, uh, in, in what one official describes to my colleagues, Ashley Parker, Josh Stasi, and myself. Uh, as a search for good news, he's just casting about for somebody to tell him something good uh, so he can hold on to hope that he might still win this election, uh, even though the the reality, the numbers are, are clearly against him. And, and he's starting to recognize that so much so that he's talking about running again uh, in 2024, which if he held on to any. Uh, at any sense that he was, that these election results were going to be overturned, that he would be declared the victor, then he would not be talking about a 2024 campaign. Uh, but here we are, that, that is what he's talking about, uh, these last few days.
2: And that was NBC News, the 11th hour.
4: I'd like to begin with you because I have this quote for you from Carl Rove. The president's efforts are unlikely to move a single state from Mr. Biden's column. Certainly, they're not enough to change the final outcome. Once his days in court are over, the president should do his part to unite the country by leading a peaceful transition and letting grievances go. Uh, First of all, Michael, what's the chance that Carl's I.D. card when he swipes it in at Fox News is not going to work? And second, uh, who else do you think in your political party? is going to have the stones to say something similar and rise up and speak up?
5: Well, one, I think his card will continue to work. Um, Fox has been uh, coming more and more into the uh, the new reality of things, uh, so to speak, over the last uh, week or so. So I don't think that'll be an issue. And Carl spoke truth. I mean, he knows what's going on. He, this, The guy's a numbers guy. He knows the numbers here. This is not rocket science. Math is still math, despite the fact that some in my party don't like to apply it or, or use the scientific notations that go with it from time to time. Um, but it's still math, and the numbers aren't there. Uh, in terms of who now goes to the, the president and has that conversation, I don't know. Would you want to do that? Uh, just You know, you can hear from the reporting that you've already done so far, Brian, folks are like tiptoeing around the White House. He's in a foul mood. He's peakish. He's this. Let him stew in it. I mean, okay, fine. There's nothing you can do about it at a certain point, the, the you know, the moving bands will appear at the White House. So <laughs> maybe that's the moment. Um, it may not be McConnell, just maybe move, movers are us. <laughs> and that, that's when he knows it's over.:
2: It was Michael still on the GOP ignoring Biden's win. This is NBC News app from the App Store. They were, Michael Steele was on the 11th hour with Brian Williams. Well,
4: good evening once again. Day 1,392 of the Trump administration, leaving 70 days until Inauguration Day. It's been four days since the 2020 presidential election was called for President-elect Joe Biden donald trump's powers as president expire at 12 noon on the 20th of january today again though our nation set a new and dark record as the coronavirus is now moving and multiplying and escalating at an alarming and deadly level the experts many of them on this broadcast warned us for months that we would see exactly this as the colder weather set in and they were right Another one-day record for new cases has been shattered, over 144,000 of them just today. According to NBC News, we lost over 1,500 people in just these last 24 hours. The spread is uncontrolled in virtually every state. That's according to data from the COVID exit strategy. And now, indeed, the president is surrounded by it. Two more people at that White House election night party have tested positive, one of them Trump's political director. President-elect Joe Biden has already taken steps to focus on containing and mitigating the virus, and tonight announced his first senior hire will be Ron Klain as chief of staff. Klain is a longtime Biden aide who also worked with the former vice president in the Obama administration on Ebola and other epidemics. Today, Trump and Biden both took part in separate Veterans Day events. While Trump continues to hold up the transition, and Biden's access to intelligence briefings and the like. One Republican senator today said it's time to move forward. GSA uh, has to certify that election to start turning it around. I'm on a committee of oversight. I've already started engaging in this area. There's nothing wrong uh, with Vice President Biden getting the briefings to be able to prepare himself. If that's not occurring by Friday, I will step in as well and to be able to push him to say this needs to occur. So that's one. Over at the Washington Post, Phil Rucker, who joins us in a moment, and his colleagues report that Trump has no real plan to reverse the election results and is already indeed talking about a 2024 run. NBC News reporting tonight Trump may accept the election's results but never actually concede. One aide says Trump may, something to the, may say something to the effect of, we can't trust the results, but I'm not contesting them. NBC News has also learned that aides are still trying to get Trump to actually accept the election results. As Ivanka Trump proved again today, races that are officially called by the Associated Press, like Alaska, which they called today, are fine if they go for her father. The voter fraud is apparently only rampant in those states that went for President elect Biden. Meanwhile, Georgia's Republican Secretary of State today ordered a recount by hand of all five million ballots cast in that state in the presidential. The move comes amid mounting pressure from fellow Republicans who made unsubstantiated accusations of voter fraud in an apparent attempt to discredit Joe Biden's more than 14,000 vote lead in Georgia. Well, today, Georgia's secretary of state said he saw no evidence of widespread voter fraud. The Trump campaign welcomed news of the recount
6: Every time we take a step along this process, we believe we are getting closer to our goal, and that is the president winning these states and ultimately being re-elected.
2: Today's
4: announcement uh, celebrating the hand recount in Georgia is another step along that path. A lot of audio from today, very few people on camera. Despite that, there are a lot of questions about Trump's losing legal strategy in contesting the election. Wall Street Journal reporting that it's mainly to try to block key states' legal legal certification of Biden's win, although Trump's aides and election law experts say that's a long shot. While over on the Journal's op-ed page, even Karl Rove wrote tonight that, quote, this election result won't be overturned. Well... Banner
7: headline at the top of today's print edition of the New York Times, election officials nationwide find no fraud. The New York Times called election officials in every single state. What did they find? No evidence of voter fraud. Rather, quote, top election officials in every single state. What did they find? The banner headline at the top of today's print edition of the New York Times, election officials nationwide find no fraud. The New York Times called election officials in every single state. What did they find? No evidence of voter fraud. Rather, quote, top election officials across the country said in interviews and statements that the process had been remarkably successful despite record turnout and the complications of a dangerous pandemic. The New York Times was joined by the Associated Press, whose journalists spread out across the country and came to the same conclusion. Their headline, quote, states cite smooth election despite Trump's baseless claims. Now, election experts told the Associated Press that the increase in early voting, with 107 million people voting early, in person, and by mail, helped take pressure off Election Day operations. The AP also noted that there were no incidents of violence at the polls or voter intimidation. Quote, the 2020 general election was one of the smoothest and most well-run elections that we have ever seen. And that is remarkable, considering all the challenges. And that was said, by the way, by a Trump-appointed Democrat on the Election Assistance Commission. And if you start to think about it for a minute, it is remarkable that this election went so smoothly in the middle of a raging, out-of-control pandemic and amid constant haranguing from the president about a rigged result, also amid the ever-present and worrying specter of foreign interference. Also considering the record-shattering turnout that we saw in this election, 152 million voters and counting. There's a reason for that. The legions of election workers from coast to coast who worked on the polls and for early voting tabulated the ballots under the constant watchful glare of the entire world. Young, from every walk of life, rather than being accused of engaging in some massive vote-rigging conspiracy, they should be lauded as the true heroes of democracy that they are. Nobody thanks the poll workers. We owe these election workers an enormous debt of gratitude for making the impossible possible and putting up with the nonsense that they're listening to now. As one election official in Madison, Wisconsin said, many of these volunteer workers made all the difference.
0: The other major benefit was the army of poll workers at their disposal to count a record number of absentee ballots.
8: That was a key difference for us on Election Day. If we didn't have as many election officials and we didn't have as much space as we did, it would have been a really late night. (laughs) So
7: if you are an election worker yourself or you know someone who is or answered your state's call for
9: volunteers during this extraordinary time, thank you
10: tell us what you mean by these different paths that shows take. Well, I think shows either completely run out of steam and get canceled. Um, or if they're going to survive, they, they recognize that they have a small group of fans. So they have to feed over and over and over again. And the problem You know, is that by by so feeding their base, if you will, the show becomes completely incomprehensible to people who are outside of the bubble. And that's what you see happening with Trump now. Right. For a minute, he had the entire country in his thrall. And what he said was culture at this point, the culture that he's uh, selling is so arcane and internal and bizarre and meta that if you're not a regular watcher of Fox News, you're really going to have no idea what he's talking about. Mm. Yeah, you say that, and that goes to things that happened at
9: the end of the campaign, where in 16, he seemed to close hitting on themes that people recognize. Whether you think a wall is a good idea or not, everyone understood that related to being a president, immigration policy. It didn't close with just Hunter Biden's laptop or these other eccentricities. Uh, and so you've likened that to more of the, the late stage Real Housewives. Um, let's take a look at that. Don't,
2: Do you ever
8: t- don't touch just my say. husband. Just, just saying. Don't you say don't f- ever. If you don't what? want out for Stop everybody to know-
2: Okay, that was some sort of a, uh, the Trump show ends America's vote him out, canceled MSNBC with Ari Berman, is that his name? Ari Fleischer, no, I forgot his name. But anyways, he's interviewing some NBC or Universal or someone that worked with Trump back in the day when he was doing reality TV, and they're they're trying to sort out his outrageous conduct now. You can't. It, it doesn't take any education to figure out a two-year-old tantrum. They can't have their way, then they just throw a tantrum until mom comes along. And, well, back in our day, we'd get the beat down, and that that would end all of our tantrums right there. Nowadays, you can't do that, I guess. Gotta play this for you. Uh, it says, the title says, Epic Loser, or as Trump, Trump says, Loser. Epic Loser. New data shows Biden smashing 80 year record in victory over Trump. Yeah, let's hear this.
9: Turning to an update on the election results, Joe Biden's total vote win is growing. It's now way larger than Donald Trump's narrow electric college victory from last cycle, which Republicans hailed like this. Enormous political feat. He just earned a mandate.
8: He's being given a mandate.
4: We truly do believe uh that that our president-elect has secured a has secured a mandate for leadership
9: you hear it there they all agreed it was a mandate this authority from the american people to now lead but if that was a mandate what is this joe biden's advantage in the total vote tops five million now with more votes coming in biden's percentage of the total vote is basically about to hit 51%, and it's already surpassed what Reagan got in 1980, which now makes Joe Biden, get this, coming through with the highest number of any challenger to an incumbent, incumbent presidents are hard to beat, since all the way back to 1932. And when you look across the country, take these three key Midwestern states that clinched Trump last time, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Biden winning all of them by more than double Trump's edge in 2016. Uh, Tonight, ballots, of course, are still being counted. And we know and we've reported on the fact that Trump upped his vote total to 72 million votes. But here's the full map. Republicans did do well in the House, but Biden's total vote edge continues to grow. And those gray states, if they ultimately are called blue, would build the Electoral College edge as well. So let me take it all together for you. Joe Biden didn't just win. He won decisively across this whole country with the kind of numbers that Trump's own age used to say was a mandate. Call this a super mandate. Call it what you want. We have a winner and a loser and one of the largest margins in many decades.
2: <laughs> he got his you-know-what beat. Joe Biden beat his you-know-what. and So he's just so sour and salty
9: that very simple thought, uh, a defeated man once said nothing.
11: Well, I, I do think our, your point is strong in that if, if Donald Trump felt like he was on the verge of winning this, if he felt like he was on the verge of this being flipped to his side, <laughs> I can't imagine that you wouldn't see him in public a lot, in public a lot. I can't imagine that you wouldn't see him commanding uh, uh, big crowds we heard all this discussion about rallies continuing. Uh, it's pretty clear that his heart isn't in it based on the news. Uh, so I, I think it is a pretty big tell as to to where we are in this race. Uh, I, I think probably more of the tell is that the legal avenues are dwindling. States are certifying their elections, and in just a matter of days we'll we'll have the final final answer in this race. Right, and and
9: we have the answer. We just have the (laughs) denial around that final answer. Professor Murray, I have a very goofy poll uh, here on Deadline. uh, Our journalist producers pulled this up. It's a real thing, but I have to note it's goofy that we're polling this uh, as a a nation. This is from Reuters, and the question is about who won the election, (laughs) which is a thing we all know. Uh, 79% of people will say Biden won. Um, uh, 13% are clinging to this idea that it's not yet decided, uh, which has an element of technical, uh, there's a technical aspect to that in the certification process if you want to be very charitable. But the problem for Donald Trump is down in the right-hand corner there. When you get to the theory that they have that he's in denial about, he won't concede on the idea that maybe somehow he thinks he won. Nobody, I mean, this is a rounding error, Professor Murray. Even in a Republican, QAnon, conspiracy-driven <laughs> Twitter world, nobody is actually saying he won, Professor, which I admit is a goofy thing to even bring up.
12: No, I mean, the truth truth is incontrovertible. I mean, this was an election Joe Biden won by wide margins, even in those battleground states that are still being contested. As Robert says, the president has run out of legal avenues, and this is a lot of political theater That is really, I think, about engaging and enraging the base so that he can perhaps direct that energy toward the Georgia runoffs where control of the Senate hangs in the balance or more importantly, use it for his post-presidential career, which some speculate will be about launching his own TV program or network where he'll be able to talk about all of these theories in much greater detail. So this to me is about what comes later, but the difficulties that our entire democracy and its legitimacy
9: hangs in the balance as well all very well put Ashley. I want to ask you about what his aides are saying uh, based on your reporting Uh, and, and I admit this is a bit of a difficult question we have it up on the screen it says Trump may accept results but never concede he lost say Trump aides can you help me with this this Cheshire cat level riddle because I believe that if you accept the results that you lost that is the concession you either accept that or somehow you don't legally it doesn't matter but can you unpack that for us from your reporting
13: sure so what aids are referring to there is this idea that the people are rightfully worried that there may not be a peaceful transition of power and what they're saying is they believe at the end of the day the president understands that he, in his heart of hearts that he has lost the election and that come inauguration day he will vacate the White House and hand it over to President-elect Joe Biden. What, what they also believe is that he will never admit that he lost. He will go kicking and screaming and say, you know, I'm, I'm leaving, but only because the election was stolen from me. You know, if this were fairly counted, I would be the winner. This isn't fair. Everyone's out to get me. I'm the victim, but, but I am still leaving. And I want to pause here to say what you've said before, which is important to stress, which is that he lost. He lost fair and square, he lost the popular vote, and he, more importantly, lost the Electoral College vote, which is how our country decides who the President of the United States is. But that is specifically what AIDS are referring to in that riddle wrapped in a
8: puzzle wrapped in an enigma. (laughs) Reverend, you got your work cut out for you. Now it's just you and Kelly. How does that change the race?
14: Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. It's great to be here with you and happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans. We owe a debt of gratitude to them and their families for all the sacrifice for our freedoms. Uh, Listen, the remarkable thing is that somebody like me is even running for the United States Senate. Uh, I'm a kid who grew up in public housing down in Savannah, Georgia. I'm one of 12 children. I'm number 11 and the first college graduate in my family. I know personally the importance of good public policy because I'm the product of Pell Grants and low interest student loans. Somebody provided for me a ladder of opportunity so that I could create a profitable, a life, a productive life for myself and my family. And so uh, I'm running for the U.S. Senate to give ordinary people a chance. They're hearing that message here on the ground in Georgia, uh, which is why our campaign has such momentum and we intend to prevail come January 5th.
8: But let's be honest, she's going to raise about a gazillion dollars, not just from Georgians, but people around the country are watching this race. A lot of big money from New York, Wall Street, that want to see a divided government. How do you combat the amount of money they're going to get? Oh, if money could purchase this seat, Kelly Loeffler would have had it by now.
14: (laughs) She's the wealthiest member of Congress. She spent millions of dollars uh, on ads, on television uh, during this race. Uh, I got in this race. There were 21 people in my race, 10 Democrats, 5 Republicans. They listed our names alphabetically because my last name is Warnock. Uh, I was the kid, if you will, next to the last kid in line. And yet we finished first. And I think that's because voters are hearing the message. They're concerned about their health care. I'm hailing from a state where we've had eight hospitals closed. I was down in Cuthbert, Georgia a couple weeks ago, and those folks are deeply concerned that their hospital is closed in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, I hear Kelly Leffler talking about everything else, and that's what she intends to do in this race, except the fact that she's trying to get rid of their health care in the middle of a pandemic. I think that's terrible news, and uh, I, I intend to stand up for ordinary people, not ask the question which politicians are winning or losing, the ways in which too many of our families are losing, and I intend to go to Washington and stand up for ordinary people.
8: So what are you going to do in the next six weeks? What is your ground game? Are you trying to convince voters to change uh, their view? Are you trying to register voters? What are you going to do?
14: Oh, We've been registering voters uh, for years here in the state. People are watching what's happening in Georgia. And what they need to understand is that this is not magic. This is hard work. We've been on the ground for years, registering hundreds of thousands of new voters in the state, trying to give people a voice. And as a candidate, I intend to help people to see themselves in the conversation. Too often uh, in Washington, the politics is about the politicians, which of them is winning and losing. And what I intend to do is to center the concerns of ordinary people, the people that I know as a pastor, uh, that I've counseled in my church. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the waiting room of a critical care unit. Uh, watching a family concern not only about their loved one languishing between life and death, but the impact of this uh, on their ability to thrive. And so I think all of that gets lost uh, in the conversation, and uh, which is why I'm running. Uh, I feel that this message is resonating with ordinary voters. Uh, I think there's a reason why we finished uh, so strong in that part of the race, and we intend to uh, win the seat, but more importantly, win the future, Uh, For kids like me, who are in disaffected communities in rural Georgia, trying to figure out how they embrace the American dream Uh, that's slipping away from too many at this time, Uh, I, I, I would be deeply honored to represent the people of Georgia.
8: Jamie Harrison in South Carolina shared much of your message with voters. He raised a ton of money, and he lost. Congressman Jim Clyburn just said that slogans like defund the police hurt his campaign. You have very clearly said you oppose defunding the police. But are you worried that you're getting lumped in with people who want to do that, people who are in districts where that works for?
14: No, I'm not. Uh, the truth is I, I'm not interested in defunding the police. Uh, maybe Kella Leffler is, since she keeps talking about it. Uh, I'm interested in the concerns of ordinary people. It's clear that she wants to defund their health care. Uh, she's been in Washington for several months. She's done a really good job protecting her own portfolio. When she heard about the coronavirus pandemic, uh, she profited in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, meanwhile, Georgians have not seen real relief. Businesses are seeing a narrower profit margin our small businesses especially are struggling when there was relief they saw Shake Shack and Ruth Chris and the LA Lakers at the front of the line small businesses at the back of the line and I think she'd rather talk about all of these things because I imagine it must be difficult to explain why you want to get rid of health care in the middle of a pandemic Uh, I think that we ought to be strengthening the Affordable Care Act We ought to make sure that our seniors don't have to choose between prescription drugs uh, and food on the table. And we ought to make sure that when our kids finish college or technical or vocational school, that the debt isn't so uh, oppressive that they have a mortgage before they have a mortgage. That's a drag not only on their personal economy, but on the Georgia economy.
13: republicans if they won't even acknowledge you as president-elect
15: they will they will thank you all so very
4: much the current vice president and head of the covid task force was originally scheduled to be on vacation in florida this week but the new york times reports mike pence was on capitol hill today rallying republicans behind the president's efforts to challenge the results of the election quote Pence spent little time discussing the administration's refusal to accept the outcome of the election, though he listed the states where the Trump campaign was pursuing legal challenges. Back with us are James Carville and Congressman Tim Ryan. Uh, James, how, how long are you going to be cool with the, the theory of be patient, cooler heads will prevail, surely somebody will get to Trump, surely there will be a proper transition and a proper
16: inauguration. Well, I urge him to recount everywhere. Beat him twice. I'm not satisfied with beating him once. Recount until you drop. I don't care. And it's going to be December the 14th. I'm not sure, but the Constitution of the statutory that, that lays out when this is going to happen. And he's, he, they're out there scamming. They're raising money and they're not even putting it in the recount. And now they want Don Jr. to run the RNC that can scam more money. That's all they're trying to do here. This is, this is just a fundraising grift. And it doesn't matter. I, I really, I was upset about it this afternoon. And I watched uh, the president elect, and uh, he really was a great leader. He calmed me down. And I, I, I feel very good. I, I think he's exhibiting real qualities of leadership. And like I say, please recount everything. You know, it's, it's always good to go after you beat somebody, beat him again. That's what we did, to, you know, that's the Saints did to Tampa Bay. We beat them, and then we came back Sunday night, and we beat them again. <laughs> the same thing is going to happen when they recount these votes. He's going to lose twice. <laughs>
4: Well, good evening once again. Day 1391 of the Trump administration. 71 days to go until the inauguration. That brings (laughs) us to the transition to a Biden administration. That's being held up. That's because the incumbent president is questioning the election results, potentially triggering a colossal constitutional crisis. He hasn't spoken in public since last week, although we may see him tomorrow at a Veterans Day event at Arlington National Cemetery. Trump still maintains he did not lose the presidential race, writing this morning, we will win. But tonight, the New York Times reports it has contacted election officials from both parties in almost every state who said there was no evidence of fraud or other irregularities. Nothing has changed the central fact tonight that Joe Biden is the president-elect of the United States. Today, he said his transition team is indeed moving forward.
15: The ability uh, for uh, the administration in any way by failure to recognize this as our win uh, does not uh, change the dynamic at all in what we're able to do. We can get through without uh, the, uh, the funding. I don't see a need for legal action, uh, quite frankly.
13: What do you say to the Americans that are anxious over the fact that President Trump has yet to concede and what that might mean for the country?
15: Well, um, I just think it's an embarrassment, uh, quite frankly. Uh, The only thing that, uh, how can I say this uh, tactfully? I I think it will not help the President's legacy.
4: Biden is still ahead of Trump by more than 257,000 votes in the states where lawsuits have been filed to challenge the results. Biden is leading by over 4.9 million in the total vote, the popular vote. And while the math appears not to be working in Trump's favor, there are new signs of the Trump administration's role in blocking this transition to the president-elect. NBC News has confirmed the Washington Post reporting that the White House Budget Office has directed federal agencies to go ahead and continue preparing the Trump administration budget proposal for the next fiscal year. NBC News also reporting Trump loyalists have now been installed in top positions at the Pentagon one day after the firing by tweet of the defense secretary. And the resignation of several other senior officials and over at the state department secretary of state mike pompeo made this rather bold statement there will be a smooth
17: transition to a second trump administration all right we're we're ready the the world is watching what's taking place here we're going to count all the votes
8: this department frequently sends out statements encouraging free and fair elections abroad yes and for the losers of those elections to accept the results doesn't President Trump's refusal to concede to discredit those efforts.
4: That's ridiculous, and you know it's ridiculous, and you asked it because it's ridiculous. That is America's top diplomat on the world stage. President-elect Biden, who's already taken calls from six foreign leaders, including some of our closest allies, dismissed Pompeo's
15: remark. So far, there is no evidence of any of the assertions made by the President or Secretary of State Pompeo. (laughs) Secretary of State Pompeo.
4: Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, Senate Republicans and their leader, Mitch McConnell, for the most part, backing the President in their refusal to publicly recognize Biden as the President-elect.
13: Senators, did Vice President Biden win the election?
4: We don't know yet, dude.
13: I've been certified. Senator, have you congratulated Vice President Biden yet? No. Why not?
11: not all I'm
18: Have you spoken to Vice President Biden yet? I have not. Do you believe he won the election?
7: The president wasn't uh, defeated by huge numbers. In fact, he may not have
4: been defeated at all. <laughs> That last guy there is Senator Roy Blunt, Republican of Missouri. You just heard him say he may not have been defeated at all, talking about the president. He's actually chairman of the Joint Congressional Committee on Inaugural Ceremonies, so he might be getting busy here soon. There is also growing concern tonight about the impact of the highly charged transition crisis on our national security. Another piece in The Washington Post notes current and former officials fear that Trump may be inclined to disclose highly classified information for his own purposes. House Democrats are now demanding Trump officials keep and preserve all records that may be subject to congressional subpoenas or investigations.
13: Ashley Home Store's greatest sale in history is going on now. Get up to 40% off and receive a MasterCard rewards card to cover your...
2: Sounds like a coup to me. It sounds like they're planning a coup to keep Biden out.
7: Most, including the party's top leaders, continuing to go along with, if not outright endorse, the president's baseless claims of voter fraud mitch mcconnell today said republican hesitance to accept the result was neither unusual nor alarming while at the same time suggesting republicans will likely not recognize biden's electoral victory until the electoral college meets next month december 13th the number four republican in the senate today went further suggesting trump may have actually won the election the president wasn't uh, defeated by huge numbers. In fact, he may not have been defeated at all.
2: He was defeated by over some 5 million Some anonymous GOP votes. officials
7: continue to insist that Senate Republicans are merely humoring the president and that Republicans' tight embrace of Trump is driven not by fear, but by need for his supporters in the two upcoming Georgia runoff contests. Today, Democratic Senator Chris Coons admitted that some Republican colleagues have privately asked him to congratulate Biden on his win
19: because they can't do so publicly. In a former White House cabinet secretary and deputy assistant secretary of labor, Chris Lou, who's the executive director of the 2008 Obama Biden transition. He's just been named to the Biden Harris transition team working with the Labor Department transition. Um, full disclosure, Chris, I should say, you hired my wife on the on the transition uh, back in 2008 when you guys were above a subway uh, in in Washington D.C. Um, tell me about. See. Um, tell me about. What, what does this mean, this moment? I mean, I thought that Biden's perspective here, which was eh, sort of swatting away the flies, was, was prop, proper messaging. How much does this become to begin to become a problem just logistically in standing up a transition?
20: Chris, let's take a historical perspective on this. This is not a game. It's not a partisan food fight. This is a gross violation of a historical norm. We have had the peaceful transfer of power in this country for 200 years, through war, through depression, when there have been bitter adversaries who have fought uh, a really difficult political battle. In none of those did we know who the GSA administrator was, in none of these was there an issue about ascertainment. Uh, And what's important here, it's not just the cooperation around getting the economy back up and running, about dealing with COVID, Mm -hmm. but this transition period in general, always Uh, is a tenuous time from a national security perspective, from a homeland security perspective. The 9-11 Commission found in 2000 that the delay in the Bush team getting their people into national security positions created a vulnerability. Uh, We know that in 2009 that there was a terrorist threat on Inauguration Day that had to be coordinated between the outgoing Bush team and the incoming Clinton team. So this is not a game, and this really endangers Security and the American people need to take this seriously. Um,
19: What what matters here in terms of the levers? I mean, at one level, it's 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 a strange liminal space. I mean, the law is the law; these elections are going to be certified. The lawsuits are nonsense; they're going to they're not going to prevail in court. Um, But the president right now, like, what do you make of what he's doing? What are they doing at DOD? I mean, at one level, okay, he wants to put his stooges in at the you know top levels of the United States Pentagon, I guess, but what are what is that
20: what is that yeah i mean none of this makes any sense look you may not be happy with mark esper uh, but to basically boot him to the sidewalk 70 days before he would have had to leave otherwise simply because you weren't happy that he wouldn't call troops out on peaceful protesters seems just like revenge and this move to put loyalists in there um, really can only be seen as possibly setting up this, you know, if we somehow figure out a way to run the table in these lawsuits in these four or five different states, and we can somehow flip several million votes, uh, we can then take power and we're going to put our loyalists in. None of this is, makes any sense at all. It almost has to feel like if Donald Trump is not going to win, he's just going to burn the entire place down on his way out of office. <laughs>
19: Well, and then what are the implications there? I mean, look, you know, um, again, Kate, who who worked on the uh, transition, had this great piece in The Atlantic basically talking about the fact that, you know, the law directs civil servants to work towards peaceful transition of power, independent of what the president says. Their their fidelity and duty is the United States Constitution to American democracy and its continuance. I mean, are are you – do you have faith that those tracks are going to proceed
0: as
20: needed? I do have faith that if career – officials are allowed to engage with the incoming transition team, that we can have a successful transition. You know, it is transitions are kind of a remarkable thing. We do this every four or eight years, and on one day uh, at noon on January 20th, several thousand political appointees leave. And then several hundred new ones come in. And the fact that we've been able to pull this off every four or eight years is really a testament both to this norm of peaceful transfer of power as well as to the um, experience and dedication of career civil servants who are keeping the trains running on time. And so I have faith that they can do their job, we can pull this off. But ultimately, the tone gets set by the top.
19: As you know, we are nearing the final vote tally. President-elect Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump in the 2020 presidential election, actually quite decisively. The numbers show Biden with state leads that are not going to be overcome by recounts. Certainly not in five different states he flipped. Biden is likely to end up with 306 electoral votes. But from the perspective of a popular legitimacy, what did the American people say on Tuesday? He is probably going to win by four points. He's up by four and a half million votes with millions more to come in from states like California and New York. He might end up winning by six or seven million votes. (laughs) Now, there have been numerous drawn out, narrow elections in American history, starting with the election of 1800 and the 2000 election. It's been talked about over and over for the past week. Back in 1876, the election was so close, it was decided by Congress. This is not one of those elections. Hear me loud and clear. That's not what we're dealing with right now. What we are dealing with is one of the two major parties refusing to accept a Democratic Party victory as legitimate.
21: Hmm.
19: The message has been sent from Trump, Trump TV on down for months now. The only way Democrats could win would be by cheating. And so now we are faced with this extremely dangerous and unnerving, bizarre middle space where the best that can be said is that Trump, the Republican Party and their allies would try to overthrow the democratically elected government and steal the election if it were closer, if they could figure out the right way to do it, but it's just not close enough that for them to do it this time. Some Republicans are acting like Trump's behavior is a big joke. One senior Republican official told the Washington Post, quote, what is the downside for humoring him for this little bit of time? No one seriously thinks the results will change. He went golfing this weekend. It's not like he's plotting how to prevent Joe Biden from power on January 20th, he's tweeting about filing some lawsuits, those lawsuits will fail, then he'll tweet some more about how the election was stolen, and then he'll leave. I mean, that's probably true, and yet, earlier today, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, at, of all things, the inauguration of the Center for Freedom and Democracy at the Ronald Reagan Institute, from the podium the State Department loves to use to lecture other countries about accepting the results of elections, did this. Is the State Department currently preparing to engage with the Biden transition team? And if not, at what point does a delay hamper a smooth transition or pose a risk to national security? There will be a
17: smooth transition to a second Trump administration. Right, right, we're, we're ready. I, I, is that a joke? It's a bad joke,
19: or maybe it's not a joke. I don't know. Well, leaders from around the world who understand who won are congratulating President-elect Biden. Uh, Trump and the Republican Party to continue to do things like file an insanely frivolous lawsuit in Pennsylvania that wants to retroactively invalidate all mail-in votes in Pennsylvania. For real, it's the actual suit they're filing. Georgia's entire Republican delegation, all of the elected office holders in Congress, sent a letter to the Republican Secretary of State in Georgia, who they are mad didn't oversee an election that stopped Democrats from voting, and they alleged serious allegations of voting irregularities with no evidence whatsoever. And those voting irregularities somehow only impacted the Republican candidates who did not win outright. Now, keep in mind, this includes a bunch of people who were just re-elected, that letter. They're saying their elections were fine and legitimate, but the other races where Democrats did better are illegitimate. So far, only four Republican senators have congratulated President-elect Biden on his victory, retiring Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania just moments ago, uh, saying that he thinks that Biden's going to win. You have the General Services Administration, an arm of the federal government, refusing to uh, fork over the money necessary for office space to begin the transition. The Washington Post reports the White House has told federal agencies to plan for the Trump administration's budget proposal for next year. You have a tenority, General Bill Barr, setting, setting up an interestingly worded but really quite disquieting note about the Department of Justice stepping into an election before results are certified to look into voter fraud. That led to the resignation of the director of the Election Crimes Branch who was a decorated Justice Department veteran. And then perhaps most um, worryingly a day after firing Defense Secretary Mark Esper, Trump has moved a series of loyalists into critical positions throughout the Pentagon. As NBC News political editor Benji Sarlin pointed out, The emerging argument of, yes, the president and his allies want to overturn the results of an election and would do so in a heartbeat if at all possible, but it's not like they actually can, is not exactly very reassuring for the future of democracy. At a certain point, if you're just trollingly pretending to be engaged in a coup, when do you cross over to actually trying for a coup? Speaking at a press conference this afternoon, President-elect Biden dismissed the Republican attempts to delegitimize the election.
15: The ability uh, for uh, the administration in any way by failure to recognize this as our win uh, does not uh, change the dynamic at all in what we're able to do. I just think it's an embarrassment, uh, quite frankly. Uh, The only thing that, uh, how can I say this uh, tactfully? I, I think it will not help the president's legacy it's not gonna work and they're not winning they are losing badly
19: and flailing Mm. um but what they're doing is wildly destructive and nihilistic even it's no surprise we've ended up here or that so much the republican party all of it and i mean like a whole conservative architecture and all the lawyers of these law firms like jones day that are participating it and all the staffers all the people that are part of this enterprise are going along with it I mean, it has been a core belief the conservative movement and many in the Republican Party for literally more than a decade that there just is no such thing as legitimate democratic rule by the Democratic Party. They can't legitimately win. I mean, let's remember the reason Donald Trump became a national figure in conservative politics was his elevation of a deranged conspiracy theory that the last Democratic president who won a resounding victory was actually secretly illegitimate. And everyone from Mitt Romney to Fox News played along because they didn't want to upset the people in the base. Let them have this.
9: Donald Trump today is still sending out many emails and texts to supporters. Uh, As we've been discussing, they're requesting money that they say are for lawsuits, but the money isn't going there. You need to know this. The fine print reveals 60% of these newly requested donations are for Save America, which is the new PAC that will fund, under the law, these things are regulated, the ex-presidency activities, the other 40% goes right to the RNC after a donor gives over $5,000. Only then does any of the money go to what is called the recount account.
10: In other words, Ari, Jason Charlie the reason... Go ahead. Sorry, I'm so sorry to interrupt. The reason no. he's doing it, and sorry, Jay, um the reason he's doing it is because he has no income. And you would see that if he would turn over right. his tax returns. There's no income there, right? <laughs> so he doesn't have the apprentice making $65 million a year. Most of his assets right. are under are underperforming. They're, they're non-performing assets. The few that he has doesn't cover the big cost. So he's going to use this like he used the Trump Foundation as a slush fund. Sorry to interrupt. No, I, don't, I
9: think that was a very factual In- interruption. I'll let Jason build on the same point, which is, We've never been a show that's overreacted to just Trump tweets or anything else. We will continue to keep our eye on the news and events as they occur. Uh, as I've emphasized, he is still the sitting president. If he is misleading or lying right. about the nature of this appeals process, we need to put that out so people understand, right. it, including, <laughs> including his own supporters, Jason, who, if they watch the beat tonight, will say, oh, wow, so wait, the email subject line said we're out to fight these cases, but the money doesn't even go to that.
22: Right, and, and we've seen this with Trump world in general, Ari. We saw it with the wall. People thought they were giving to a wall. They were giving to slush funds. And, and here's the thing. Not just that Trump has no income, but he is also potentially facing dozens of lawsuits once he is no longer president of the United States. So to continue, mentioned yesterday dinner, continue with that De Niro theme from heat. Like when the heat is coming, can't have anything in your life, you can't leave in 30 seconds. Trump can't leave politics because at this point, it's his only way of making money. He will perpetually claim that he is running for president. He will open up super PACs. He will do rallies, because that's the only way for him to make cash. He will be defending himself legally the moment he gets out of office. And this this is what I think, quite frankly, the president should probably want to avoid from a branding perspective. Look, I don't necessarily think he's going to end up in jail, but if he continues to play this game, and, and eventually, you know, the press is not going to care. The public's not going to care. Republicans are going to start moving along with what they need to do. What he doesn't want is an embarrassing situation of him or someone linked to him having to be removed. He doesn't right. want the image of somebody coming up to the White House and their right. key doesn't work. And well, that's I what get he's this facing in. if he continues in this mode. I got
9: to get this in. We went from Cohen to De Niro to Pacino to Johnson— <laughs> Uh, it wouldn't be complete without Rosie, who's also clashed with the president uh, before, long before he was president. But I did catch up with her today. This was just on Instagram Live spontaneously. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell, and he's bad her in some of the most sexist ways, uh, likening him now in this moment to a caged animal. Take a look.
21: I think he's in shock, and he doesn't quite know what to do, and he sees no way out, and now he's panicking like a caged animal and trying to, uh, you know, fabricate causes for his trumped up trumped up charges uh against this uh, election and fraud he's a desperate man and he's in a desperate situation and it brings joy to millions of us <laughs> michael
10: your view of her
9: assessment of him is that desperate
10: so first of all you know i've grown now to become friends with rosie she came to visit me while i was in otisville you know and we became pen, we speak on a regular basis and I apologize to her each time. she told me I have to stop because I was part of that attack on her which was really um, obscene and it was gross I'm gonna um, now why interrupt I, did it again, you. I don't know
9: but Michael I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you so it goes back and forth that's the thing with lawyers on TV together but this is interesting I mean you're saying that when you were behind the, the walls there in prison dealing with much of what you had to deal with because of your work for Donald Trump, that Rosie O'Donnell came and visited you and you guys bonded over all this?
10: She did. She spent over six hours with me uh, one day. She was a hit in the rec room. Don't forget, you know, I was in a satellite camp. Everybody loves Rosie and everybody came over and she was just as gracious as gracious can be.
2: Wow, that's funny. That's so funny. Well, it looks like to me that not only is Trump afraid to face all these lawsuits, but that he's trying to plan some sort of a coup because he has no income. The special
6: counsel, the special counsel found no collusion. Did not find
2: any oh, I don't want to hear anything. You know these move and contrasting his own past
9: recognition for integrity on the job to this move in the resignation letter now independent experts are condemning Barr today and it's certainly striking to see the highest post inside the doj's elections unit resigning to object to Barr to lay down this marker which also of course echoes that russia probe i mentioned recall that a top a to the doj prosecutor leading it also resigned in protest, and roughly 2,000 DOJ veterans from both parties have protested Barr and demand that he resign over repeated political meddling. So, there's a track record here for Bill Barr's ploys, but can any of this new memo change this race's outcome? No, the game's over. Joe Biden is the winner, Donald Trump is the loser.
13: Those are the results
9: of the election. There's not a single case pending in the nation that can change that result as we've reported. Now, tonight, I get it. Some may ask, okay, Ari, but is the attorney general now doing something that could create such a case to challenge the outcome? No. And I'm reporting that answer to you drawn from Bill Barr's new memo itself for two reasons. First, This memo states that the DOJ can only start these reviews earlier if there are clear voting irregularities that would change the outcome of a federal election. And Barr emphasizes, if irregularities would not, would not change the outcome, then those are still delayed until after the election certification process is complete. Translation. Most probes will wait unless there's evidence that could change the entire election result. But as we've known for days from all those big board updates, Joe Biden's victory margins are greater than the number of allegedly challenged ballots in any of these key states. So this memo makes no difference to that. And now finally, to the second reason this doesn't change things. The memo may offer Donald Trump a brief sugar high today of some of the headlines he wants about fraud or investigations, just as Barr did in spinning the Mueller report. But this new Barr memo does not even claim they found any fraud. In fact, Bill Barr, in the new memo, writes the opposite. Now, if you're hearing less about this part of the facts tonight, that may be because Barr knows how to play the media and Twitter and get people salivating over words like fraud. hasn't the Trump era taught everyone that the full truth does require more than overreacting to a few spicy words on Twitter? Come on, you guys. Let's just go to the actual source. Barr's new memo states the DOJ has not concluded that voting irregularities have impacted the outcome of any election. And he ends the memo with the fair-sounding language that actually we could hear Barr reading to some congressional probe in the future, Biden administration, because Barr proclaims that, quote, this is up to the nonpartisan DOJ staff, not to him. He tells the prosecutors, quote, I trust you to exercise great care and judgment. Speeches, speculative, fanciful, or far-fetched claims should not be a basis for initiating federal inquiries. Wow. So that just passes the buck to these prosecutors while discouraging any specious or hyped up voter fraud claims or cases. I mean, when you just look at it, I'm just reading the memo to you. I'm not doing anything special here. You see that despite the tweets or the headlines, this is weaker than weak sauce. This is legally irrelevant. Now, viewers of this program know that we sometimes report the news with some choice rap lyrics, but I gotta tell you tonight, Bill Barr's memo is so weak it is so soft it does not even merit association with any hard hip-hop lyrics. It's just too soft for that. Now, as the Trump administration ends and the Barr era at DOJ ends you can sum up this final messaging memo from the Attorney General with a point courtesy of Joe Jonas and Demi Lovato. No matter what song you sing this wouldn't change a thing. No, nope, this wouldn't change a thing. And when even Bill Barr is focused on covering himself more than fighting on for Trump, you know it's really
13: over.
12: Thanks, Figluzi, Can you pick up on this from, from those two perspectives, both the law enforcement perspective, that what Bill Barr did resulted in a high-level departure. Um, the gentleman's name is Richard Pilger. He left as the head of election uh, crimes at DOJ over Bill Barr unleashing prosecutors to go investigate voter fraud, seemingly uh, at the president's seemingly uh, at the president's behest. And then this, this, this—I think what Mike was getting at—more serious implication that without acknowledging Joe Biden's win and Donald Trump's defeat, the national security agencies are not engaged in a transition of power to the Biden administration.
23: Right. So, so far, we've seen a wholesale uh, buying-in to the president's state of denial, Uh, to include, no surprise, our own attorney general. uh, Earlier today, we saw Secretary Pompeo joking about the stability of our peaceful transition process. So none of this should surprise us, but but it should deeply concern us. With regard to the the president-elect's comments today and comments specifically about the fact that he still isn't getting the presidential daily brief still doesn't have the funds for transition and meeting for and planning with all the various agencies. I've got two thoughts on this, Nicole, and you've been very kind always in the past that let me harken back to my FBI days, and I'm going to do that again if you'll allow me, which is this. We're coming very close, we're coming very close to having what the Bureau calls a barricaded subject. Mm -hmm. Uh, The barricaded subject is in the White House. And what we saw the the president-elect do today was right on the money with regard to initial negotiation with a barricaded subject. Here's why. We saw a very calm Joe Biden today. We saw him essentially shrugging off that he doesn't yet have the money uh, or the keys to open transition offices. He shrugged off the fact that he's not getting the classified briefing. His staff isn't getting access to classified and briefings from the various agencies that is exactly what you do in the initial stages whoever's advising him is doing it right you want it you want to let that barricaded subject know that this is going to be okay i'm going to listen to what you have to say you can vent and vent and vent you can call me names and not acknowledge my authority outside the perimeter here but eventually we're going to get this done and eventually in this case nicole there's going to be a time where joe biden calls the swat team it may be A legal challenge to the GSA refusal to acknowledge him as winner. Um, It may be that U.S. Marshals have to come take the president out. And as we say to a barricaded subject, we can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. But so far, so good with the way that Joe Biden is handling this. So
12: he's not individual number one anymore, Frank. He's a barricaded subject. What does that mean? What What is like the actual, I mean, it sounds like a hostage situation.
23: It, it means there's a there's a way to handle this from a psychological standpoint from a behavioral standpoint And all of the last four years tell us a great deal about how this president reacts to loss To being perceived as a loser and how he needs time to process this And I know we're all frustrated with it, but the reality is that Joe Biden's got this right. This is going to happen We're going to acknowledge Joe Biden as the winner. The rest of the world has done it already and the Republican people around uh, the president need to do this as well lest they become um, uh, jokes um, as as Secretary of State did today now for people worried about the briefings and, and and what's not happening look it's I don't mean to demean this I was a part of transition briefings when I was assistant director at FBI they are extensive they are serious uh, briefings but there's something else going on here that we we need to acknowledge I think which is Trump doesn't want Biden to have access to the briefings because number one it acknowledges that he won but also, There's a finer, more subtle layer to this, which is once Biden and his staff get into the agencies and start hearing real-time threat information, they may well discover, let's say hypothetically from the CIA, hey, sir, the following intel on the Russian threat has been suppressed, Then we can't get it to Congress or the White House, or from the FBI. Mr. Biden, we have to tell you that we have the various threats um, and indications of wrongdoing um, that we can't get out to anybody right now. Mm -hmm. That means Biden learns what Trump doesn't want him to learn. And that may be part of the suppression effort as well.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is getting good.
12: Connie, they're going very, very far in this act that what Donna says is going to happen on January 20th isn't. This is some reporting from Annie Carney in today's New York Times. Pence, Vice President Pence messaged today to Senate Republicans per source, I want to keep serving with you as president of the Senate, and I think I will. I mean, what what is, what is, have you ever seen this, I mean, I guess Kellyanne Conway blurted it out with my colleague Chuck Todd when she said, "Alternative facts, alternative reality." Yeah,
6: it's not hard to figure out why. You know, Donald Trump will be controlling the twenty percent that votes at every primary going forward, and every politician knows that. And this is kind of like the blood identity thing. You know, there's, there's, Trump is an idea more than even Trump. And it's basically you don't want to be in a position a year, two years, three years from now, where you weren't part of this club that made the last <laughs> stand. The bottom line is, and everybody needs to relax. And, and Frank's, you know, served this up really, really well. Donald Trump will be leaving office January twentieth. And the reason to make you maybe feel a little better about why this is happening, Donald Trump and, and Nicole, I talked about this a couple of months on the show. I talked about it right after I, it was a chance he was going to be leaving after. Um, uh, the impeachment. Donald Trump is in pre-production right now. Donald Trump is going to be starting the Trump Revolutionary Network, a subscription model. He's already trademarked tele-rallies. They actually trademarked that term. That It's a subscription model. He'll charge even if it's only 10 of the 70 million people, six bucks a month, seven bucks a month. That's a billion dollars a year. And if you're in pre-production for that, if you're Donald Trump, what's more compelling? If you're a loser, and we know that he, you know, that's his biggest fear of being a loser, or aggrieved and you stole the election, you actually held on to that furniture, they literally dragged you out of the office. If you were pre-producing Donald Trump's next act, this is what you would be doing. So the Republicans and the, and the TV hosts are just toxic recipients of, Donald Tr- of the residue of Donald Trump's next act. And when you understand why he's doing it, he probably doesn't think he's holding on to power. The other people are being duped along with him. He'll move on to his next venture because that's what this is all about. Nothing more. If you understand that, you can relax a little bit.
12: <laughs> I wish I had your um, confidence in, the, in the, that he's accepted that that's what he's moving on to. And, and I guess, Donnie, if I could just press a little further down this road, a, a, a Trump ally and supporter said to me, sort of between election night and the networks calling it, that Donald Trump's greatest Pleasure out of being president it had nothing to do with the presidency or the country. It was the relevance. Suddenly, he was relevant in a way that he had never been able to achieve relevance as sort of a B-level um, reality TV figure and a you know only moderately successful real estate guy who squandered a lot of his inheritance. And so, I, I guess what you're saying is in line with what this Trump ally said that he's going to find a path to hanging on to relevance, but. My question is, why is everyone going along? I mean, why is Pence going along with that? Obviously, he's not going to get the 8 o'clock and Trump gets the 9 o'clock hour. Well,
6: Pence is going along with it because he's going to run, run for president someday. And he's going to have to get through that 20% of the fringe of the party that's going to be voting. And if Donald Trump says, this guy didn't stand next to me, he's not getting through that barrier. It's it's very simple. It, it It's basically people wanting their next jobs. It's not hard to figure out. Donald Trump does have control of that. If he stands up at the next primary, forget whether he's going to run or not, and says, this guy was not part of the club he's out he's not winning a primary it's that simple forget about a general election and you know to speak about the relevance you know when donald trump now is like that bully in the movie that when they're finally unmasked in the lunchroom and everybody moves away from them and they're left by themselves and you know that kind of sadness and now they look pathetic and defanged, that's his biggest fear and that's why he's going to donald trump's not going away kids he's not going to have the power but donald trump will be speaking to anywhere between 10 and 70 million americans every day and the media this media outside of Fox has got to be disciplined when ratings kind of maybe drop off in March and April, and we're talking about infrastructure, not to put the heroin back in and go after and cover it. Let them just stay in their own little, little, little bunker over there.
2: <laughs> Ooh.
0: It has been exactly one week since the election. President-elect Joe Biden continuing to lay out his transition plans by promising to save the health care coverage of some 20 million people and taking his first questions as president-elect. In fact, our own Mike Memoli was there. He asked him about the White House's
15: refusal to accept the results. The ability uh, for uh, uh, the administration in any way by failure to recognize this administration Our win uh, does not uh, change the dynamic at all in what we're able to do. All right, it's not just the president, though. High-profile
0: members of the Trump administration and Republicans on Capitol Hill—they are denying Joe Biden's win. Is the State Department currently preparing to engage with the Biden transition?
2: Okay. Well, thank you for listening and. you heard with your own ears the comedy dog and pony show that's going on and some of the reasons why people think uh, Trump uh, Trump is doing what he's doing. You may recall if you recognize uh, Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, he was saying that Trump has no money, he has no income. And uh, of course, everybody knows there's dozens of lawsuits and prosecution that will kick in once he's out of office. But um, Michael Cohen is saying that it's just, he's running scared because he has no money, no income. Well, we're going to see the next couple of months until January 20th. It's going to be interesting, to say the least. And then some people are saying after he's gone, he's trying right now to land some sort of a spot where he can continue to stay in the public eye either through a reality TV show format or some sort of format that way he can control millions of his followers and use them as a stick to shake down the politicians for whatever power or money he can shake them down for but if they don't cut his uh they don't cut his supply off soon then they're gonna be stuck with him and then when he's gone and dead in the sixth circle of hell with in Dante's inferno when he's gone down there then his uh sons they'll be milking these politicians for bribes and they don't find some backbone and step up and stop this but we've we're going to see let's hear a little bit more
8: it's be and in fact we are moving forward with the transition there's a practical side to that though they're being deprived of millions of dollars that would go toward a transition, but he is trying to make the case, look, you heard me talk about COVID yesterday. I rolled out my advisory council, a 12 member group that's gonna work on fighting COVID. Today, I'm talking about the Affordable Care Act and how we're going to build on that. And so he is trying to make the argument that he is moving forward with his transition, despite what is happening with the GSA. There's a little bit of measured optimism there, but there's also some politics going on because again, Eamon, At the top of his agenda is unifying this country, and in order to do that, he cannot alienate President Trump's supporters.
11: So let's bring in right now the author, poet, and writer in residence at Vanderbilt University. So this is a bandy conspiracy yes. also. Anchor's Caroline down. Randall Williams. Uh, Caroline, let's read from your piece uh, for the New York Times titled A Loving Chastisement for America. And you write in part this. Joe Biden has won, but as it doesn't feel like it's over. Those who voted for the Republican, a staggering 70 million as of Friday evening, We'll find a more conventional ambassador next time. The 45th president was an aberration only in so far of his corruption, and it was brazen instead of subtle, his appearance clownish instead of slick. But the people who voted for him are plenteous, and they have been conditioned for this bigotry not just by the last four years but by centuries. I'm on America's side, but as my grandfather said, love involves chastisement. I love the idea of an America that is free and equal, but we are not there yet. (laughs) And and Caroline, I especially loved this line, and I read it yesterday, and it's why I wanted so much for you to be on the show. It's beautiful. Thanks to my father, whom I loved very much, I am an unabashed, fairly old-fashioned patriot. That surprises people. But why can't I speak out against America's ills and then, with unreserved good faith, contemplate its
6: promise?
18: Joe, I'm so grateful to you for having me on the show, first of all, this morning, um, and second of all, for hearing the right spirit behind the piece, and then third, for picking out that line, because to me, it really speaks to. Um, the necessity that we need to have to return to embracing the fact that two things can be true at once, and I think about just the last segment. Um, you know, we uh, where you all y'all talked about how um, Washington established norms for the presidency, and I thought to myself, though norms are not laws, right? You know, the question of the way we expect an American president to act. He did establish some norms, but he also. Um, had some norms that we, thank God, have abandoned. We don't expect um, it to be a norm any longer that presidents own slaves, for example, or deny women the right to vote. It's really important to me that we maintain a practice of continuing to relentlessly put things into context and frame and reframe them so that we can really push this experiment to live up to like the capacity of our dream for it.
17: Caroline, it's Willie Geist. I am a part of this Vanderbilt conspiracy, so it's great to see you, proudly so. Um, It's an amazing piece. I hope everybody reads it because you tell your own story um, so well and so deeply and how far it goes back to your grandfather being one of the first um, black men elected um, since Reconstruction in the state of Tennessee, your father being a conservative Republican who actually worked for George W. Bush in the United States Army. So when you sat down to write this, you're looking at these election results coming in, you're saying, okay, Joe Biden won. For you, that's the good news. For a lot of people in the country, that's the good news. But now we're looking at 71 million people who voted again for Donald Trump, many, many more than voted for him in 2016. So what did that tell you and how did that compel you to write this piece?
18: I think it told me an old hard truth, which is that people are prepared to vote either for economics above equity, which is um, inherently a position of privilege that is um, at best ignorant and at worst racist. Um, And it also told me that Lee Atwater was um, really smart and that whatever uh, he planted in the seeds of the White House and in the uh, minds of Americans um, abides and is terrifying. Um, And I really think that, you know, it called me to call to account um, the Republicans that haven't yet followed Joe's model and Nicole Wallace's model and Michael Steele's model of really, you know, coming to reproach their party. Because I think that what the party needs to reckon with is this question of what do you do with the fact that at the moment the conservative ideological set is not, and I don't know if it ever will again be, the popular will of the American people if you actually excise the bigots from the base. You know, because you have to wonder if there really a form of old-fashioned conservatism that can be effectively applied to American politics when you take into account human error. And by that, I mean implicit bias and social and political structures that currently count on the decency of the people with the power in order for equity to be ensured in terms of the application of the law. And then if there is a form of old-fashioned conservatism that can be applied, what does that look like? Because, you know, for black people in the country, there is no separating of cultural issues from practical political issues, because the practical truth of my life is that it matters, right? And if the policies on the other side don't reinforce that, I don't know how I can come to the table.
22: Yeah, Gene Robinson. Um, So for chastisement to work, the person... Chastised has to, in fact, feel chastised. How do you induce that feeling? How do you induce that that, that knowledge?
18: Well, um, you know, I think it's, we have to figure that out, because I think, you know, Joe talked about a sort of cultural civil war that's happening. Um, I think economics are the first one. That's why, you know, I lived in Mississippi for five years and loved it, and it was costing them money to have that flag on their flag, and so they changed it. Um, and I think that maybe we have to try a different tactic, and I think that might be part of it moving forward.
11: Caroline, I, I, I'm so thankful that you're on today. And I love you. You, you said what, I, what I've caught myself saying more and more. It's almost like I'm a DBT counselor. Two things can be true at the same time. There can be truths in 1619 and 1776. And we need to figure out how to bring those two truths together. And thank you so much for being with us today. I hope you come
18: back. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. All right.
11: Thank you. Uh, that does it for us this morning. Chris Jansing picks up the coverage right now.
1: President Trump fired his defense secretary, Mark Esper, on social media yesterday. NBC News reported last week that Esper had already prepared a formal resignation letter since the Pentagon chief and the president had been at odds over several issues. For instance, Esper was working with Congress to rename military bases named after Confederate soldiers, a move. The president opposes and over the summer, Esper pushed back on sending active duty troops to put down protests and also distanced himself from Trump's photo op at St. John's Church. John Kelly, the former White House chief of staff, told the Washington Post that Esper quote, made the decision to stay loyal to the law and the Constitution and paid the price. Speaking to the Military Times last week, Esper himself said, quote, Who's going to come in behind me? It's going to be a real yes man. And then, God help us. Joining us now, Chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, Democratic Congressman Adam Smith of Washington. He was reelected last Tuesday to represent Washington's 9th Congressional District. Also with us, former NATO Supreme Allied Commander, retired four-star Navy Admiral James Stavridis. He is chief international security and diplomacy analyst for NBC News and MSNBC. Um, Admiral Stavridis, um, God help us! Is that um, is that over the top? Is that uh, or are we in unknown territory? Um, I personally, I, I feel, I feel the president. Um, is at risk of doing something incredibly destructive to the United States uh, in the next month or two? Am I being overly hysterical?
21: Well, no, you're not being overly hysterical, but we all ought to be concerned. And you know, I spent two years as a senior military assistant, as a three star, to the Secretary of Defense at the time, Don Rumsfeld. So I know that position extremely well. And I'll give you three reasons we ought to be worried. One is tactical. Every week, the Secretary of Defense receives an orders book. He's the one who actually makes the decisions to deploy units overseas. Those are highly technical decisions. You can't just jump into the middle of it uh, without doing damage to how we uh, deploy our troops. Number two, operationally, at the level of theater, this is where the Secretary of Defense thinks about well, should that aircraft carrier battle group go to the Arabian Gulf, or should it go to the Western Pacific, to the South China Sea? And then finally, strategically, um, there are some pretty obvious concerns here, starting with, and not to get at the really dark end of the spectrum, but the nuclear codes. Um, This is not trivial, it is complicated. You don't wanna just throw somebody into it. And I'll close by saying the SecDef appointee, I guess, um, has a decent combat record as a colonel. Uh, he served in a couple of low-level posts in the Pentagon. To pull him up to be the Secretary of Defense on a moment's notice would be like a baseball team, not going to the bullpen. It would be like going down to a, a high school uh, ball team and saying, hey, send that pitcher up here to the
17: major league. So, yeah, we ought to be pretty concerned about it. Chairman Smith, you head up the Armed Services Committee in the House. Uh, It appears that the crime of Defense Secretary Esper was not being 100 percent loyal at all times to Donald Trump, which is what he requires. So what are your concerns from your position? And also, should we be thinking, as some have reported, about FBI Director Ray, even CIA Director Haspel, and the security of their jobs? Well, I think Admiral Stavridis is absolutely correct. This,
24: This is an incredibly destructive act by the president. Uh, There's no point in this. I mean, there's like 70 days left in the Trump administration. Uh, There's no going to be major policy changes. If he's unhappy with Secretary Esper, that's one thing if he's going to be continuing his term, but he's not we need continuity within the job to remove Secretary Esper at this point. Number one, it gives all the concerns that Admiral Stavridis just laid out. Now, I will say that Acting Secretary Miller, I spoke to him yesterday, he's not a bad guy. Um, now, Admiral Stavridis is also correct. He's not qualified for this position, but he sounds like you know he's going to do his best and he's working with Chairman Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, but it's still a destructive act because it places uncertainty at DOD in a way that is very dangerous. And the second point is what Meek has been alluding to and what you just alluded to, what's next? Yeah. Uh, well, what else is President Trump going to do uh, that's gonna place our country in jeopardy? And let's be 100% clear on this. There is no question of the outcome of this election. I've been through a lot of elections. I, I've, I've seen very close elections. We all have, um, they happen. There's no question of the outcome here. What President Trump and Mitch McConnell, the Republicans, are doing here is unbelievably destructive to this country and completely wrong. There's no legitimate challenge to this election. So you're beginning to see in, in the firing of Mark Esper the damage that President Trump could do if the Republicans continue to support these destructive efforts. So it's a big problem, and it's worrisome to think about what else could happen.
0: Let me ask you really quickly, if I can, just about Georgia, because we heard Ben Jealous evoke earlier uh, Stacey Abrams' name and in how instrumental she has been. You're on the ground there. Uh, talk to us a little bit about her efforts over the past two years.
2: We already have that part. <laughs> Let's see what this is. from
4: the president this week. We saw him today. What's your reporting on where he is on his personal journey?
3: Well, Brian, his emotional state is quite fragile. We've not seen or heard from the president in several days, with the exception of this morning on a rainy day in Washington. He went out to Arlington uh, National Cemetery to lay a wreath uh, in observance of Veterans Day. Uh,
2: But he has not been doing much. uh, We've heard over 30 minutes of NBC news from their app. It seems like they went back a few days or weeks in their reporting, which is fine. Um, but yeah, this is, uh... (laughs) this is not over i guess i'm with the former man they had on there he was formerly with the cia and the fbi frank Newsy or frank i forget his last name he says that um Trump is acting like a barricaded suspect. He knows that it's just a matter of time before the police will take him out. But he's uh, desperate for some sort of control, any little control or power that he can eke out before they come in and get him or take him completely down. So yeah we'll stay on top of this because um, this is not going to end very nicely it doesn't seem like there's anybody that's willing to <coughs> or that is able to to bring him to his, to bring Trump to his senses, if he ever had any, but it doesn't seem like there's anybody that can break through his delusion, In all these years he's had nothing but, he would, would not allow anybody to oppose or disagree with his op- opinions, so, doesn't seem like he's going to be able to get the help he needs right now. In terms of Biden, I'm confident. I'm 100% confident he not only has the support that he needs from the military, who every day for years, years and decades, every day he gets a report from the government on the military, what's happening with him, how many are injured, what is the status of the military personnel, and he goes and he visits them, and wherever he can in the world, he'll go and visit with the military. So it's no doubt in my mind if Donald Trump thinks he's going to, a military coup cool. he may have one or two in his pocket, but um <laughs> they they are signing off their whole career if they go along with some sort of a coup, cool. so not only does um Biden win the election, but Biden is calm and collected and says it's not a problem no matter what. And if they don't want him to read the daily briefings, he has the option, as a former vice president, he has an option to be read in or read out. If I recall correctly... He may not have the uh high level security clearance that he had when he was on duty as vice president, but now that he's president elect he's able to, he has more power if he wants there's plenty of people career people in the government that aren't political. Puppets <laughs> he can get what he needs, he'll get it done, and he has the support of all the world leaders if he has to set up a some sort of a temporary White House setting somewhere he has the world on his side <laughs> you know. <laughs> Donald Trump is way he's Donald Trump has always been out of his league. Uh, the, he's always been a laughing stock to the world because he is just nothing else. He has n- no business in the job. So now his time is run out, and his lies are not going to save him any longer. They his lies have Kept him for four years, but, oh, it's it's all over Casanova. It's time for him to go. And all the people that are too weak-kneed, spineless, afraid to stand up to him, they're going to be weak need, and afraid of him for the rest of their life because he as long as these lawsuits are still pending, he's going to try to blackmail all these weak people for what and shake them down for whatever he can get. So you see, people, we're in for some fireworks. Maybe for the next year or two and beyond, we will be hearing about this story if not this election story, we'll be hearing about the prosecutors that are waiting to prosecute him once he leaves the office. Well, I'm sure we're going to hear about this uh, lady that his his third wife. I'm sure she will eventually. Her and her attorneys, if he has anything, her and her attorneys will get. Um, whatever they can for her son and for her. And so if he has nothing now, he'll have even less once he starts to um, leave the White House. Okay, thank you for listening. Take care.